Len, what's the LG? Shit. Oh my god. <laughs> what's your podcast, Len? <laughs> I can uh, never remember the acronym. It's LGBTQ. Uh, yeah, LGBTQ.FM. It's not mine at all, actually. I just got the ball rolling. I cloned Turing and complete. I mean, literally, you cloned the website, right? Yeah, I forked it. <laughs> Which is actually really annoying. I actually was noticing, for some reason, forks in GitHub. Like, you don't see your activity like you do in other repositories. Yeah. What do you mean? So, yes. So, that's actually, that's on purpose. Because you're supposed to, so this is also, you can email support and have them disconnect the fork relationship. Right. Um, but a fork only counts contributions if you open a pull request to an upstream. You could just possibly make only repo if they merge. Yeah, like honestly, when you're when you want to be like it kind of sucks. Like there's not really a thing to represent like inspired by. I recently disconnected millennials to snake people from its upstream <laughs> because it was completely unrelated. Right. Like, completely, completely. Like they wrote, like I didn't even reuse the stuff for, like that makes it into an add-on. Like I used a completely different system in order to do it. Uh, so there was just no relationship and it would never be merged with the upstream. So it got disconnected. So it's, but it's weird because it's like, it's almost like if you wanted to do that, you're better off cloning the repo locally into right. your new directory and then, uh, you know, remove RF, the dot .git folder. <laughs> right. And just like explode the git history and then uh, get in it afresh. Wait, if you cloned it and then just pushed up as a new repo, it wouldn't get up. Yeah, see you're it right. As a, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't see it as a fork. So you could keep your history. That's true. That's a pretty good point, though. If you're never going to actually push the changes back to the. Yeah, they aren't going back to the upstream. Yeah. Right. And, well, don't bother. Oh, so actually, so now that we're talking about GitHub, I have. Uh, errata or it's not really errata it is just where i was wrong in the last episode that i wanted to mention because i was very wrong and so i wanted to correct myself basically i was ranting about this the well not, it wasn't a super strong rant but so i was look. i would been using this angular 2 generator which is very useful and i thought that there so there were some issues um but then uh those were fixed and i learned a bunch about how npm works i actually didn't realize this because i feel like although people told me this is a much older version of npm that if you want to have a script run like let's say you have like want to do grunt or gulp or something uh in the past you would have your people install those packages globally with dash g and uh that's dumb because installing packages globally is kind of annoying and like then you're going to have some version collisions and stuff uh possibly in things anyway um basically globally packages avoid if possible turns out that in the if you have your scripts in package.json and you install one of those uh binary type tools as a dependency then npm goes looking in your known modules slash dot bin folder so you don't have to install the things globally which is pretty cool I, I was surprised. I was like um, for Phantom.js, right? For that, for the seed. Yeah. Thing. So yeah, because we ran into this recently on that Kata seed project, uh, that you don't you don't have to install it globally. I was surprised you could npm install Phantom.js because it's like a it's not written in JavaScript. It's a like a it's like a C plus plus binary, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess ultimately, like it probably down like you could probably inspect it, but if I were to guess, it would download it to a folder and then you know, yeah. run that thing. 
in Ruby, like most gems, for instance, there's a gem called Poltergeist, which uses PhantomJS underneath, and it just requires you to already have PhantomJS installed through some other fashion, either like apt or yum on Linux or homebrew on, on OS X, or just download it and install it manually. But I, I don't know of any, any gems that down that will install something that's not written in Ruby or not, not linked to Ruby as a um, FFI kind of thing. Nah, you can like... Like a native extension? Nah, nah, man. You can do whatever. Because it's just, it's just folders. It's just programming. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just like programming. Um, no, but I mean, it's just folders. Like I, cause I, most of the Ruby gems I've written are involved in passing static assets, which static assets are just files. Like you can just dump files into a gem and then you can execute them if you want. So I was surprised you're using Yeoman. I've not found much success with like a generator being up to date, being how like volatile the JavaScript community is. Like it feels like whatever the preferred stack is and kind of the versions that make that stack work. It's just a Rube Goldberg machine of like configuration that like any like two or three week old Yeoman generator tends to be out of date. Yeah, maybe, maybe this one is not the case because it is Angular 2, which is literally an alpha. So like this is constantly being updated or at least it's not constantly being updated, but they were super respond, uh, responsive. That's a word. Um, <laughs> when I, when I chatted with them. I think that that might be the annoying bit if people aren't responsive. Um, I mean, yeah, I the interesting thing about yo uh, yo generators is like I take issue with them because I do feel like like you're like oh a generator and it generates a thing and that gen- stuff it has so much stuff like it's it's weird because it's the reason you used it because so I <laughs> I think they're interesting to see how people structure projects uh, and to say like oh well, what does someone think like a an organized you know xyz app looks like and using a generator kind of informs you of what someone's opinion of what things should look like is and yeah so it's like this the exact reason why you use yeoman is also the thing i kind of take issue with where like there's so much crap like it, like the i think the regular like angular one generator installs like like bootstrap and 8,000 things. I don't know. That's probably like a bootstrap angular one, but um, like you just download it and then you look at the dependencies file and it's like, Oh, and you have grunt and Bower and like, Oh my God, so many things. <laughs> so I, I like this. I like this particular angular two one is nice because it is very, it's very light on dependencies. Have any of you seen the game? Uh, keep talking and everybody explodes or is it? Nobody explodes. Nobody explodes. Yeah. Nobody it explodes. sounds so it sounds stressful. I feel like I feel like stop talking and no one explodes would be a very easy game for me. Like I would just <laughs> just sit there and be like, all right, well, I guess no one explodes. So what is it? It's a, it's a PC only game right now, but I think it's supposed to come out on PlayStation Four and iPad and other tablets in the future. But essentially, one person is can see the bomb on the screen and uh, can can take actions against different modules. And everybody else you're playing with just has a written manual of what to do in certain situations. So the person that sees the screen is describing like, okay, there's a red wire and there's a yellow wire. And then the instructions are like, if there are three wires, then cut the red wire. If there are four wires, then cut the yellow wire. And then it like, but it gets like way more complicated than that. Seems like a really fun uh, friends and family game to play with people that don't usually play kind of video games. It's like an interactive board game almost. Yeah, that sounds cool. Over the holidays. Yeah, I really want to get it set up for that. There's a, a board game that sounds a little similar that 
uh, I actually just bought, but I haven't played yet. Uh, it's called Witness, and people I know rave about it. So it's kind of like a mystery solving game. You'll read a mystery, uh, but then everybody at the table will get a clue. Uh, but then it's like a game of telephone. Like you can't read your clue out loud. You can only read it to like the person next to you. So I also, I like that. What's that? The resistance game? Is that the one that you have the cards for? Uh, yeah, where there's spies and not spies. I really like that one. Cool. Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Like, thanks for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> How's your uh, time off going? Uh, it's good. Learning a lot of, we're working on a, a lot of React and Node stuff. It's fun working on something that I want to build for myself. I'm bummed you're playing with JavaScript instead of Elixir, but I can understand. <laughs> the market demand is probably better for that. Well, I just want to immerse myself in the stack too. So the the reason I'm doing the backend in Node instead of um, Elixir is just uh, to get server-side rendering of components and kind of reuse a lot of React bits. Like you can reuse the router uh, server-side and client-side, which seems intriguing. Does that mean you can write like a static site, not static site, but like completely server-side React app? Yep. Huh. Yeah, so that's the, that's the main reason. But yeah, I would rather be writing the backend in Elixir. Because you can like have like isomorphic React apps. You just have to, you know, install like something in Phoenix to like I don't I don't know what the, the mix package is, but to render JavaScript. Hmm. But that always feels a little clunky, bulky. So you're working on that in the podcast? Yeah, editing that podcast took me way too long. There like were six. six. There were six tracks. Well, I did. I edited epi- episode zero, uh, which is up at lgbtq.fm/zero, which was basically us trying to figure out if we wanted a podcast and what the format should be and how the kind of mechanics of it would work. So episode zero is like just super meta uh, coming up with a name, which was like half the episode, but then episode zero or episode one just launched yesterday. And I actually had no part of that. Um, so it was good. Someone volunteered to edit, someone volunteered to like organize and get a topic together. And you were involved in the uh, making the markdown and merging and all that. Yeah. I didn't do any of it. Wow. It good. Awesome. How did you meet your other panelists? Uh, so there's a Slack, uh, lgbtq.technology. Uh, so yeah, kind of the idea formed because we have so many good conversations in there. There's like a hundred different rooms and I thought it'd be interesting to speak to people I speak to virtually and release that as a podcast like we do here. How's the design going? For the website? Yeah. There's a pull request. I hope somebody takes it over. Oh, cool. I got the artwork um, for the podcast logo on Fiverr. And I'm actually really happy with it. Although Pocket Casts like cached our logo because I forked our website <laughs> and like listened to the first episode of Pocket Casts and it won't refresh the artwork. So I think I saw that too when I added it to, um, I added the RSS feed directly into the podcast app on iPhone. I, th- I think it still shows its ring complete logo. Yep, there it is. <laughs> Origin Stories. Yep. Remember another episode with that same title? <laughs> oh, I was going to, I was going to uh, say, I noticed you're using the random tag again. <laughs> hey, that wasn't even me this time. I know. Justin yeah. complains because I, I can't think of tags for episodes and just tag them as random. I'm just saying if we just remove the random tag altogether, we would have better tags. Like if you don't have a wildcard tag? Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't know, random. Can you, We should look at the S3 logs and see if anyone's actually ever clicked on a tag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, parsing S3 logs is really a pain because it's not too hard. So, okay, backing up, when... You enable logging on an S3 bucket, which is where we host our our podcast website. Um, it records, I, th- I think they're like Apache-style Apache, Apache style logging. So it, it shows like the request method and the request ID and what they requested and uh, if it was a get or a head request and if it was 200 or 
404, the what was requested, uh, the time it took, the date, uh, number of bytes transferred. It records like a whole lot of data. Uh, oh, and the user agent. So trying to get analytics out of this is difficult because uh, I guess the way the S3 is structured, there's probably like thousands upon thousands of machines that are hosting S3. Uh, and I guess it only rolls up um, a single machine or a cluster of machines. So if like 100 people clicked on our, our website, we would get maybe at least 90 files that each have like one line in them or maybe like two or three lines. Um, so in our bucket, there's like hundreds of thousands of, of text files with like one or two lines each. And it wouldn't be that large to just download all this locally and then use a bunch of bash tools to, to parse it. But the problem is that like getting each file takes so long round trip. Like it would be faster just to get one file instead of get hundred thousand files of the same size because every single file request takes time. So it takes me a really long time to get all the files downloaded. And then once I have them downloaded, I need to be really careful about like, um, if I want to see how many people listen to a single episode, I first need to find that episode, like the um, the the file name, um, filter that, then make sure I filter only successful requests, make sure I only filter get requests and not head requests. And you kind of need to look at the user agents too and make sure that um, we found that the website, every Do time you, have you a load a- script that does this, Justin? Like no. this sounds, you should, like, I feel like you could have like a make file, you know? <laughs> you I probably that, could, I honestly. I hear that you really like them. I do like make you files. You can have a make tag to do that for you. I think what the make, best make thing file to do- evangelist, And then someone will take your make file and make a Ruby gem out of it, you know, to make it more accessible. So there are some services that do this for you. Like they'll just like, you give them an S3 log directory and they will just give you a bunch of analytics for it. Uh, and I tried one and it, I couldn't get it working. I'm not sure why. I think they expect you to not have logging enabled yet and then they enable it and pick a bucket and then start setting logs there. For whatever reason, I couldn't like get our existing log bucket to pick up for them. Um, another thing I considered was AWS Lambda. It would be cool if every time one of those files was created, you can create a, um, a Lambda trigger from an S3 create operation. So every time a object is created in S3, you can trigger this uh, Node.js, uh, JavaScript, or Python file function and have the input be that file that was created and then the output can be whatever. Um, so I was going to like use that to concatenate files. So like every time a file is created, it would just roll them up into one single file like per day or something, which would make all this a lot easier to do locally. And then, yeah, I could use like make or something. But right now when I do like S3 sync, the logging bucket, just for episodes, it takes like over an hour to... to get up to date if I haven't done it in a few months. Anyway, analytics are hard in podcasts because there's no, you can't just like drop a JavaScript tracking widget into it. You're going purely off of uh, file downloads. And then also, um, Len, you were pointing out that Overcast has its own caching and it's supposed to be setting a subscriber count, but I couldn't find that anywhere in the logs. Oh, so I found out more details about that. So I guess Marco rewrote the client and for some reason stopped sending that info. Oh, thanks. So Overcast, I guess, tries to like have a feature of giving you like quicker push notifications instead of pull- pulling. <laughs> uh, so Overcast basically s- like scrapes or refreshes all the RSS files on the server. Um, so basically, if we have 200 people who listen on Overcast, as far as people consuming our RSS feed, it's only one person. Um, it's only the Overcast client. But what they used to do is say, like, uh, Overcast, like 1.0, uh, 232 subscribers. And they just turn that off for 
No reason. Right. But the download count should still be correct. So every every client's going to download from us directly. Oh, okay. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, too, was we found out that in the website, every time you load one of our pages that has the MP3 player on it, it just downloads the entire MP3, even if you don't click the play button. No, it's not that. It should be a, it should be a partial request, like a range request. Oh, so that's another thing I don't... I haven't seen range requests. I've seen head requests, but not... I'm sure it's another thing we need to filter in the logs. But I'm not sure if players that do streaming also do range requests or if they can. I don't know. Big data. <laughs> can we Hadoop this? Start a Spark cluster just to do podcast analytics. It'd be a cool service to build to do this for somebody. I mean, there's already things that exist for this, but I didn't like them. And it's probably hard. I was pleasantly surprised about how quick you'll, quickly your computer can actually parse that many text files, though. Like a few hundred thousand analytics files and you just pipe it to grep or ag or or cut i use a lot um and it finishes in like half a second what else is going on i missed the conversation about um ete and not ete <laughs> closure conj and uh the other one i'm not sure what you mean by the other one yeah <laughs> there was another conference or something wasn't it i don't know well pam was at js conf yeah, that just happened, though. Justin was talking about last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But how was JSConf? It was good. Um, it's, I'm pretty tired now because it's over the weekend. Um, also, this was JSConf last call, so a lot of people had lots of feelings um, because I guess it was my first, so I, I spoke, and this was my first time going to JSConf US. Uh, so I I heard a lot about JSConf, but I couldn't really identify. I hadn't been there like every year like some of these people. And so, so wait, it's the last JSConf US for now, or at uh, least as organized in its current form by Chris and Laura. So it's not like for lack of interest, it's more there's they're, they're moving on, yeah. But it's it's kind of sad. I think you can, I think they're open about what's going on if you want to look it up, but there's some some health issues involved. Uh, it's sad, so they have to step back, but they before they did step. Uh, before they step back, they wanted to do one last one. So floor, like the December is usually robots conf the last few years. So instead of robots conf, they uh, changed it to JS conf last call. So that's why there were two JS confs US this year. But yeah. So there, there was much feelings. Uh, most people are kind of the, the thought is that probably, I mean, a conference is a lot of work and a lot of uh, financial risk and so there probably won't be like someone will probably eventually set up up, but probably not next year, probably in like 2017, which sounds so far away, but which will be soon. I got, you know, like the ever, the ever moving process of time, <laughs> uh, you know, smothers us all with the weight of its inevitability and what have you. Did any of you read that, uh, Stephen Wolfram thing about space time? It's 2016 in like three weeks. Um, no, please tell me about this. I'm just thinking of, um, I'm thinking more of, I know I must have shared this with you all. There's like, I don't know if it's still up, but there's this doctor. Uh, it's a website that pretends like if Carl Sagan were a psychotherapist. <laughs> um, and it's like, you ask like, who am I? And it'll auto respond with like, you're, you're made of like stardust in a world, in a universe that doesn't give a shit about you. 
in, you know, in a space that you can't possibly imagine literally like your brain cannot conceptualize it in the same way that our brains like cannot like actually conceptualize what like a million is like we we think we can but we really can't um so yeah it's pretty funny so it is still up it is dr dash carl uh, c-a-r-l like carl sagan.com <laughs> and a good a good flow is who am i um and it, it has some auto prompts but yeah it's good what's the the wolfram thing oh stephen wolfram who is a uh like wolfram alpha yes yeah he was a physicist a mathematician and then uh made wolfram alpha and apparently before he made that he was doing a lot of research into basically saying that uh einstein's theories of special and general relativity are like 100 years old and we kind of take them as truth uh and he's trying to find something that you could derive those from like what is what is underneath all that theory um and his 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 theory is that uh the entire universe is just a graph of nodes and edges and almost like the game of life you can that makes sense from the person who founded wolfram alpha yeah <laughs> like, like here's my model of the world and then like you go and make wolfram alpha <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay that makes sense i can see how that happens um but he was saying like kind of like the game of life uh, I, he didn't say that in the article but i just kind of gathered that you can like find some rules about how the graph behaves like if you have this pattern and then you step forward in time this pattern emerges um essentially it's just a really long blog article about trying to find what is underneath a lot of our theories and trying to find something like a little bit deeper uh and and kind of answer i guess some questions we don't know the answers to yet and then i don't don't know if it's a spoiler or not but at the end of it he uh he doesn't really give you an answer he just kind of trails off into should I keep working on this? Uh, and the three answers he gets are, yes, it's the most important thing ever. Why would you do anything else? And then the other one is um, you should probably use your skills to do something more immediately valuable, like make a you know large company for science and good or whatever. And the other answer he gets is from scientist friends who are scared that if he comes up with a new theory, it will undo a lot of work that they've done, which sounds kind of childish. Um but it's really interesting. Like, I don't know anything about any of this stuff, um, but it was really enjoyable to read. So I don't think we talked about recording every two weeks publicly. We're recording we... every two weeks right now. Yeah. Hey, Ish. everyone. <laughs> I don't know about the three of you, but I am super busy recently. Yeah, I really, really hate saying like that I'm busy. I think it's like the biggest cop out. What I really want is like if I whenever I want to say I'm busy, I want to hand people like a little pamphlet or like a zine to explain like I have feelings and that there are priorities in my life. And like, I'm telling you that you aren't a priority to me right now, but like (laughs) you shouldn't take that personally um, because like, that's just how it works. And I'm just don't feel like bullshitting you and saying that I'm busy because that's bullshit. There's no such thing as busy. There's such thing as priorities and I have priorities and sorry, not sorry. If you don't make the list. Another thing is I noticed like other podcasts who are popular, they take breaks and we never took, we didn't take a break. Nah, man, pod fading. We just went all, all in. So the two weeks, every two weeks thing makes sense. I just wanted, I don't think we ever said anything to the audience. Yeah, it feels better. We should. I am, I am kind of settled uh, after our move a little bit where I have a consistent schedule now and I can record every week. Um, Yeah, that that also contributed with you moving. For a few weeks, you were trying to record from parking lots. 
Yeah, I so, didn't have internet. That's like we didn't really expose that to the podcast at pe- like audience at large. But like it was, <laughs> it was like a. And now that it's winter, it's the the well December at least. It's like the holiday party season. It's so it's just kind time of when a, nobody does any work for the next month. Yeah, everyone's really busy, but no one's doing any work. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I mean, I hate winter, but December is like the least objectionable month of winter. Yeah. Because like there's lots of stuff, and then February is the worst. Uh, January's up there, but like everyone goes to ground and doesn't do anything. Don't you like flee the country in winter? Are you doing that again? Yeah, I'm going to Buenos Aires. Nice. So How because long? it's it's summer there for a month. Mm-hmm. So I hate winter, and I'm I hate winter, and I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> Have we been over this? Have you all? Uh, like I think we've talked about Network on the podcast, one of the classic movies that I think everyone should have seen, and everyone has knows the references to, but a lot of people have not seen. Um, it's I don't the, think I've seen it. It's the I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Movie. What? It's really quite dark, actually. Princess Bride. Well, not quite. No. Snatch. Are you just naming movies now? Like those are all unrelated. <laughs> well, Princess, Princess Bride is a movie that everybody quotes, and I've never seen. Oh, actually, I I I don't know. I'm gonna go out there and say that you probably like it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that I think you might like it. So, which movie were we talking about? Anyway, we were talking about Network, which is about oh. a TV network. Oh, I think I've heard of that. It's a it's I'm a ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie have that high of a Rotten Tomato score, but it's from nineteen seventy six. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's a really it's a deep movie about how no matter what you do, the media will or media or society will co opt it to under like undercut it. Hmm. Yeah, nineteen seventy six. Yeah, um, there's actually a um, if you watch Black Mirror, there's an episode of Black Mirror that seems like it's kind of related to Network. Oh wait, which one is that? The one with all the cycling people. Ah. Like that episode of Black Mirror reminded me of Network. What channel is Black Mirror on? It's Netflix. on Netflix. <laughs> okay. the best is it a channel. Netflix original? <laughs> no, no, it's BBC. But I think the most important caveat is Black Mirror is great if you just pretend season one, episode one never existed. I could not get through with episode one. But then it's even better because that kind of happened in real life. And it's better now, yeah. Yeah, so it's there's... better now. <laughs> I might give it a, a new chance. I don't know if it's giving it away because, like, I think they get into it in the first episode really quickly. I don't know, like, if you, I don't know if you are super care about spoilers. Like, I don't know, skip ahead thirty seconds. So yes, but anyway, Spoiler it has to do alert. with the prime minister uh, doing the business with a pig. <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right, man. now that we now that people have appropriately skipped thirty seconds ahead of that, <laughs> um, so that also like that happened in real life. <laughs> Well, in the show, it happened because it was like this crazy ransom scheme where like he had to do it on TV or else. Yeah. But like in real life, it happened because rich people. (laughs) Um, So I think I picked like The Grain is probably my favorite episode of anything. The Grain? Yeah, it was episode three. So the premise. So Black Mirror. Is that the prison one? No. So, uh, well, just backing up, like Black Mirror is basically like a modern like Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like even dark. better. Yeah. And it's really dark. It's depressing. So the grain is the episode where everybody basically has like a Google glass type thing, but it's like an implant that, that's yeah. always recording. Yeah. So it's basically what I want in life. Like you can like, you can just like review your whole day. Uh, but then they kind of explore like what, like the psychological like aspects of that would be. Like, I think the the first thing is like this guy has a job interview 
and he's constantly replaying every single like facial expression someone makes and like is going crazy over like what he sees uh but yeah it basically leaves people in in really bad ways yeah yeah i mean it's yeah in a science fiction in that it's it's like near future science fiction right like speculative like pretty much almost everything in there is like technology that exists or you can imagine existing very easily right we watched the expanse last weekend that's on uh sci-fi that was pretty good the first episode, the pilot is out, and then it's going to continue uh, with episodes on December 14th, I believe. But it's essentially that um, Earth and the Moon, I think, are like the United Nations. And then Mars is like a military colony that's that's at war with Earth. And um, then there's people that live on an asteroid belt that take asteroids and mine ice from them because water is very scarce. Uh, it was pretty good. I'm interested to see where it goes. People... I was going to say people were uh, comparing it to Firefly, but I don't know if that's really apt. I don't know. I, would compare, I, I liked Firefly. so Me too. That's, that's probably a strong, like, you like this thing. You liked it, therefore. Space. Yeah, Mining. also space. <laughs> I like space. I have a lot of TV catching up to do. So many shows to watch that I have not seen. Unrelated, kind of related. I really like the new Apple TV. It's pretty good. Is it worth it? Uh, if you have an old one. Yeah. Uh, I think so. Uh, if, and if, you have an amazing oh, set-top box. It's way better than the old one. <laughs> yeah. So if you watch most of your TV on like your Comcast Xfinity X1 or X2, whatever they're on now, uh, I don't know, maybe. Um, but as somebody that doesn't have cable and just watches everything on the internet, uh, I think it's pretty awesome. I love using Sir- oh. Siri, like my voice, to find shows. I'll probably buy one anyway. Have you played games on it yet? Uh, I played Alto's Adventure. Uh, which I have on my phone. Uh, it is a downhill 2D snowboarding game where you collect, um, are they elk or deer? I don't know. You're trying to ch- chase your animals and, and catch them and then get coins and not, not die when you hit a rock face. It's pretty fun. Uh, that's one thing I played. I want to try the uh, the music one that Harmonix made, but yeah, I don't really play games on the Apple TV though. I have my phone and I have a PlayStation <laughs> to play games on. So on that note, are we ready for picks? Yes. Yeah. Since my pick is going to be actually related, it's a, uh, I did a trial of YouTube Red, which is a YouTube without commercials, which seems it's pricey to like buy just for no like ad-free YouTube, but it's always the worst when you want to watch like a 20-second video and you get a commercial. Oh, yeah. I close YouTube videos constantly when they do that. If I don't <laughs> How much see- is a subscription? Uh, I gotta double check. I think it's like twelve dollars. But what I learned is it also comes with Google Play Music, which is actually so far at least as good, if not better, than Spotify. So I can actually like pay the same amount of money and have commercial for YouTube, which makes the TV viewing apps like so much better to be able to just like pop it and watch a thirty second video and pop out. Because it's also really difficult to skip ads while watching on a smart TV. Um, Sometimes it'll, I think it'll highlight the skip button. I just noticed that. But, yeah. So, Justin, do you have a pick? Yes. I was just going to say, whenever I go to YouTube and I see, if I don't see that uh, you can skip this video in five seconds link, I instantly close it. <laughs> do, do you like gamble? Do you and reload? And, <laughs> like, or do you like open it incognito and see what happens? Or No, I just, I just don't watch the video. <laughs> I mean, if it's something really important, maybe. Like if I want to watch, um, maybe like a conference talk, like, I will. I will give you thirty seconds of my time to watch. In order to watch 30... like forty minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if I want to watch like this clip that somebody sent me in a chat room that I probably don't actually care about, and 
is not going to benefit my life, then I just close it. Um, my pick is, so there's a closure library called YesQL, Y-E-S-Q-L. And then there's also one for, is this Ruby? Yes. There's another one called YayQL, Y-A-Y-Q-L for Ruby. And also for Go, it's called dot S-Q-L, D-O-T-S-Q-L. And what it is, is this closure library, instead of writing an ORM, uh, and instead of writing raw SQL in your application code, you write queries and put them into a text file. Um, I think it might be YAML, I'm not sure. Um, but you just write write these queries and they have an interpolation syntax. So you say like, you write a query that's called, you know, find user by ID. And then you write the SQL that would do that. And then you put in a placeholder, like the ID goes here. And then you get a function in Clojure or whatever language that is like, SQL find user by ID, and then you pass it an ID. Uh, so instead of using an ORM, and instead of like putting raw SQL in your application code, you have these queries that you're sharing amongst all of your um, application code, and they have their their own little place to be. Uh, it just seems kind of refreshing to not have any magic um, to write SQL and just be using SQL. Um, there is. Yeah. Prequel in JavaScript, SQLT in JavaScript, <laughs> and SQL dot SQL. Yeah, this this repo has a lot of links. Different. I'll just post a closure one, and there's links to a lot of other language repos that are inspired by it. Um, Did you try it? So, I, so why would? Yeah. Good. No, no you go ahead. <laughs> why would you want to use that versus like a stored procedure? How do you version control stored procedures? I mean, if you put it in a migration and version control migrations, that like a yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, and you could do that, but then you're like version controlling the migrations, and then every time you need to update the sort of procedure, you need to delete it and then recreate it again. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, that's probably like a performance optimization on, on top of this, that you could just like take these functions and yeah, write a store procedure. I also don't, are store procedures uh, cross, are they universal? Like, can you do that in SQLite? And I know Postgres. Definitely not SQLite. <laughs> I, I know Postgres and MySQL support it. But I mean, that's not really a good question because nobody ever changes their, their database. Yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be on a different database than your production app. <laughs> um, and yeah, why would you use this over an ORM? Um, I don't know. Ruby, like Active Record is pretty pretty magical and pretty weird sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. Check it out. Uh, Pam, do you have a pick? I do. So I have a, a video that was recommended multiple times uh, that I, you know, I think I, there's this pattern where I recommend videos and then I watch them after I've already recommended them. It's kind of a risky situation, but that's what's been happening. Anyway, this is what the heck is the event loop anyway from JS Confu 2014. So last year, but this was mentioned at this year's JS Conf multiple times as a really good video resource business. I don't know so. why, but in my head, I assume that you gave that talk. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck is the event loop anyway? Yeah. It's, a, it's a really good title. Um, <laughs> uh, it, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have really good titles, but um, it seems like it's an explainer style talk. So we'll, we'll see. Sounds cool. Jervon, do you have a pick? Um, yeah. My music pick is Indian Summer by Jay Wolf. And I haven't been doing much programming lately. Well, I have, but not anything cool. Uh, I'll pick the, I've been playing with the uh, Raspberry Pi. So I'll pick the Adafruit kit for the Raspberry Pi. That's pretty cool. It comes with a breadboard and LEDs and switches. I actually just bought a second one. Nice. And they have a new $5 Raspberry Pi too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I'll pick the DeWalt 20 volt drill. <laughs> I've been putting a lot of holes in my wall. Since I got it, you, did you get drill. the driver and the drill? 
I got the driver and the drill. Have you used the driver? Although I didn't, I have not used the driver. Uh, it didn't come with any uh, screw bits, though. I'll have to go buy some of those. Oh yeah, that's weird. Yeah, yeah I didn't know what a, I I got the same set as a gift a few years ago, and I didn't know what a like a hammer driver was. It's actually pretty nice. Like when you're when you're screwing in a um like a Phillips head screw, and it allows you to put less force on the screw and it doesn't strip like it doesn't uh slip as much essentially there are little hammers that are, that are twisting and if the the force becomes too much that it can't turn the hammers will slip and then go to the next one and hammer it the next uh session i'm sure there's a youtube video we could post that shows how the driver works. i'll look for one cool so uh show notes are at turing.cool slash 72 follow us on twitter at turing cool and i'll Talk to y'all later. See you. All right. See ya. Bye. In, in every other week. <laughs>